listener production. Hi there, I'm Madeline Palmer and welcome to this extra episode of The Briefing. Australia is celebrating a major milestone birthday today with our beloved Sydney Opera House turning 50 years old. Yep, on this day in 1973, Queen Elizabeth II walked up those famous steps and delivered her opening address on a very windy Sydney day. And I congratulate the people of Sydney and indeed of Australia on this remarkable addition to its architecture and to its cultural and community life. I have much pleasure in declaring the Sydney Opera House open. The landmark took 17 years to build and it's now regarded as an architectural masterpiece worldwide. The original pitch to build the Opera House was budgeted at about $7 million, but ended up costing a whopping $102 million, which would be about $700 million today. An international design competition was launched back in 1956 with 233 submissions made. But in the end, it was won by Danish designer Jorn Utson and he received about £5,000 for his design. Unfortunately, Utson gave up on the project during its long construction and returned home to Denmark. He died in 2008 and sadly never got to see his masterpiece as a completed building. But everyone has an opera house story. You may have seen your favourite band there. You may have been to one of the many forecourt shows over the years or been to see one of the hundreds of ballets, plays, operas and symphonies performed each year. Well, one Australian performer has a lifelong affinity with the Sydney Opera House. Everyone knows Ice House and their songs, Great Southern Land, We Can Get Together, Electric Blue and Crazy. Well, if I told you the band's founder and frontman, Ivor Davies, played at one of the very first performances at the Opera House, you'd be forgiven in thinking it was with his band. Well, let's find out if you're right. Ivor Davies, welcome to The Briefing. Thank you very much. It wasn't with your band that you performed at the Opera House the first time, was it? Uh, no, it couldn't have been further from uh, from a rock and roll <laughs> band, in fact. At the time, I'd been studying at the Conservatorium of Music. I had a whole kind of life before um, the band even started, which was a very serious classical musician. I was an oboist, and I was in the Conservatorium Senior Orchestra. I'd just turned 18, and the conductor of the Senior Orchestra said, uh, we're going down the road, this is from the Conservatorium, and we're going to play in the, as yet, slightly unfinished opera house <laughs> and they just started their their opera school at the conservatorium i think it was the first year of their opera school and some of the performers who were in those two one-act australian operas that we played for were young budding opera singers and um, certainly marilyn richardson went on to be a major 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 star of the australian opera so we were all very sort of bright-eyed and young. I, as I say, I think I turned 18 about three weeks before that performance or those, the beginning of those. There were a number of performances, in fact. It was incredibly exciting. Yeah, I can imagine it would have been pretty amazing to play in this new building that everyone's talking about. Now, what did it look like at the time, Ivor? Look, I can remember a number of alarming things uh, about <laughs> about the the pit, for example, had no back wall and it had a kind of safety rail. It's sort of about, you know, hip height 
And I remember looking at the brass players whose chairs were about six inches away from um, where the back wall of the orchestra pit should have been and staring down over the safety rail and it was about a three-storey drop to a concrete floor and I thought, hmm, okay, <laughs> right, better be a tiny bit careful, these guys. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> And um, there was sort of stuff like that, you know, nothing was labelled, for example. So I don't know whether you've ever been inside the, the green room, which is where, you know, all the green room is right in the centre of the, the opera house and, and it's where all the, um, all the players and performers congregate and there's a whole lot of dressing rooms. And from the green room, you can get to anywhere in the opera house, but it is an amazing maze of corridors and lifts and so on. And that works really well when everything's labelled and at that point it wasn't labelled, so everybody got incredibly lost. <laughs> Sounds like a bit of a mess, but I can imagine it wouldn't be like that these days. But at the time, did you know what an Australian icon it would become? I had a pretty, strangely enough, I had a pretty fair idea because I grew up in the country with parents who were very keen fans of music, and my father especially was a massive uh, fan of opera. And it was a sort of unlikely thing for a young man to be into. He'd been into opera since, you know, he was a very young man. It wasn't necessarily the sort of thing associated with, uh, with young males at that point of time. But um, I remember even living in Wagga Wagga, which is where we, I grew up, that my parents bought tickets every week uh, to the Opera House Lottery. And this was, a, this was a kind of lottery that basically funded the building of, of the Opera House. And so there was this great sort of sense of anticipation of this building being constructed. And then my father got moved to Sydney. And of course, I went with him and my mother. And, and then, you know, the great moment when we could go to this brand new building um, to see uh, the operas and the, and, the, and the ballets that my parents had subscribed to. And so it was incredibly exciting. And as I went in every Thursday afternoon on the train uh, to have my oboe lessons at the conservatorium, the train let me out at Circular Quay. And so every Thursday, I'd get to see a bit more of the Opera House being built. And so I actually literally saw the Opera House being built kind of, you know, concrete bit by glass, bit by carpet, the chairs being brought in. It was incredible. And then there it was, that invitation to go and play in it before it was even opened officially. And so, yes, there was a kind of building anticipation in me and, and excitement. I, I knew, certainly knew something big was going on. Mm, and what an honour to be invited as well um, to play. But since that point, how many times have you actually performed at the Opera House? Oh, a mighty lot. I, you know, even in that first year when it was opened, I played on the concert hall stage with basically the Sydney Symphony Orchestra and, um, and the, the Sydney Philharmonia Choir. I played in this um, studio there, a Stravinsky uh, cantata, believe it or not, which was recorded and actually put out on a record with a picture of the opera house on it. It was brand new technology. And that was really in the first 12 months. And then the band started it all went in a completely different direction but i was back there in 1985 for my first ballet which was called boxes for the sydney dance company and so we performed that season there and by then it was kind of billed as being ice house and and the sydney dance company 10 years later my second ballet with the sydney dance company berlin 
I think probably the most one of the most memorable nights was the 25 minute piece that I wrote for the countdown to the millennium, and that was performed with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra and Richard Tognetti on the forecourt of the Opera House, leading right up to the ten nine eight seven six five four three two one into the new millennium, which was broadcast to four billion people mm. on television, and it was incredible. Um, you know, the countdown uh, happened. The Lord Mayor of Sydney handed me a glass of champagne and the fireworks went off over my head and it was just wow. amazing. Incredible. So, yeah, look, lots of spectacular memories for me. Yeah, definitely. And look, from ballet to opera to now rock, uh, Ice House is actually back at the forecourt on December 12, playing with Sneaky Sound System. Uh, what's it like to look back over the sea of people at the sales of the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge behind you when you're playing there. It must be incredible. It's such a long-held memory for me. When I wrote Great Southern Land, I think in the opening lines of it, I said, uh, city on a rainy day down in the harbour, watching as the grey clouds shadow the bay. And I wanted it to refer to any of the harbour cities in Australia, especially, but there certainly is a very vivid picture of one in particular, and that's getting out of that train at Circular Quay and watching that building forming every week and then um, heading towards those very first performances in the Opera House. So it's a pretty, it's kind of a pretty precious, long-established memory for me. Yeah, definitely. And look, congratulations on your own 50-year career at the Opera House as well, Ivor, and thank you for taking time to have a chat with us on The Briefing. Oh, very great pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Ivor Davies from Ice House talking about the Sydney Opera House turning 50 today. I'm Madeline Palmer. Thanks for your company for this extra episode of The Briefing. The Weekend Briefing will be back in your feed tomorrow from 6 and Tom and the team will be back on Monday. Monday.